What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media, coming at you with another episode of Pat's Daily, brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbooks. More from them later. For now, we got a mailbag episode for you. You once again sent all your fantastic questions, and I'm here to answer them. I got a guest this week. My good friend JP Acosta of SB Nation does amazing work. This isn't the superhero show that we did last time. We'll figure out a time for that, though. For right now, we got the, you know, more regular straightforward stuff but man i'm always excited to talk to you you always make it so much fun how you doing i'm doing great man thank you for having me back on it's always a blast talk to you we definitely have to do another superhero episode because that was one of the most fun times i've ever had in the podcast as soon as there's actually people on the team then we can start figuring <laughs> out our new justice league adventures whatever kind of spin we want to do this time uh but before we get into the mailbag we have to address matthew slater officially announced his retirement after 16 seasons Greatest special teamer of all time from Bill Belichick himself. Even had a question this year where he was compared to Steve Tasker, Matthew Slater, and Belichick's like, yeah, I love Tasker, but like Slater's done a lot more in his career, which says a lot. Because Tasker's that one guy where you're like, all right, if special teamers, not just kickers and returners, are going to get in, Tasker was the standard, but now we got a new guy. So let me know what are your thoughts on Slater, his retirement, and what he meant to the Patriots and to football in general. So they don't call them regular teams. They call them special teams because they flip moments in a game. We have just seen what happens when you watch great special teams play that helps flip games, win games. And like you said, Matthew Slater is the greatest special teamer of all time. Like that is an incredibly important, incredibly niche role, of course, but it's incredibly important to the success of a team. The punt gutting, like his ability to never be out of a punt return or never be out of punt coverage or kickoff coverage. And you think about some of the most important moments when it comes to recovering kicks or forcing special teams fumbles or forcing big special teams plays, Matthew Slater is around on almost all of them. He is he is an impact player. He's just not an impact player defensively or offensively, but special teams is where you where he makes the biggest impact. Not only that, but basically everybody who has been around the Patriots team or covering them media-wise has said Matthew Slater is like one of the greatest like Patriots ever. Like he he embodies what it means and what it meant to be a New England Patriot. We think about when he came into the league for the Patriots, John Lynch was on the team when Matthew Slater was there in his rookie year. That's crazy. And now we're getting to like this. He spanned an entire era of Patriots football. So if we're going to kind of go with a little bit of a superhero comparison here, he's kind he's kind of the hawkeye a little bit like hawkeye okay he's kind of not as highly rated not as highly thought about when it comes to you think of the uh, avengers you think of iron man thor of course you think of captain america but when you think about the mcu hawkeye has been in, involved in some of the biggest moments in mcu avengers history and that's matthew slater he might not have the biggest role or the strongest like ability on offense or defense but you're never going to find a big moment without him. And then if you want to talk about longevity, honestly, Hawkeye is a great one because an old man, Logan, who's one of the few superheroes who's still alive all the way in the future when everything goes to crap, it's Hawkeye. That was a really good comparison. I like that. And then, man, just going off what you said, like the ability to impact the game and not just impact it, but when you are the primary focus of every special teams unit you face. Like I posted a bunch of his highlights and you're looking, they use different strategies. So they put two guys in front of him when he's a gunner, they'll have one guy and then another guy in the middle of the field who's trying to angle him out of the play and he's still making an impact. So 
it's easy, I understand, in special teams where you're not scoring a lot of touchdowns. You're not necessarily creating a lot of turnovers. You know, big hits happen, but just because you got to take angles, it's not always easy to lay the boom. So it's easy for Slater's contributions to slide under the radar. But when you talk about the amount of attention he grabbed and the fact he still managed to do his job consistently, and that's before we even get to the person he was. Obviously, football, you get to the Hall of Fame for what you do on the field, but things he did off. He's a Ron Burton Award winner for all the service and things he did in the community. I remember we talked about how long he's been on the team in that one locker room, or in that one locker. Mike Kosicki had a funny comment today where he was like, yeah, I was talking to Slater, and I'm like, dude, you've been in this same locker since I was in high school, Like, which is crazy to think about. Like His teammates we're not even playing college football when he was in there starting out. So incredible to see what he managed to do for so long. And again, like you're right, the impact that he's had on the people around him. I only got to cover him for one season. Honestly, he's one of those people where you're just like, I've grown up watching you. Like it is kind of intimidating going up and talk to him. I think I one time asked him a question. It was about Brendan Schooler. And I accidentally called him Brendan and didn't even realize until everybody started laughing at me. And he goes, Brendan? And I felt crazy that corrected because he got to like, all right, all right, you're good. He's such a nice guy, always made himself available, was kind to people. Um, and, you know, with these players, sometimes that doesn't get enough attention. So from my perspective, adding on to it, just an incredible human being to be around, especially with the reverence that he has from so many people that are also so highly respected. Yeah, I mean, we think about how improbable it is to be a guy like Matthew Slater who is – maybe just over 200 pounds and being a punt gunner where you're sacrificing your body every single time you go out on the field and you play for almost two decades. Like that's incredible longevity, just consistency at the position. And like you said, there are plays where he's running all the way. He's hooking out of bounds because he gets pushed out of bounds and still comes back to make the play. That is incredible. And it's something where you look at how you teach punt gunners and you look at Matthew Slater. Like Literally. that's his teach tape. Have you seen the clip where the, I think it's Thomas Morstead, the uh, Jets punter. I think that's who it is right now. Uh, where after the last game of the season, he goes up to Slater and is crying because he knew that it was probably his last game when he get a picture. To have a division rival, obviously like special teams, they have a much different bond. But to see a veteran like him go up to Slater and cry, knowing that he was going to hang it up, that's what you need to know about the reputation he had. Where even, you know, in a situation like that, last game of the season, the Jets coming off a big win, all the, you know, excitement from that, he still gets that kind of love, man. We could go on literally for the entire show talking about Matthew Slater, but uh, we do have to move on. But thank you, Matthew Slater, for all you did on the field, for all you did in this community. Seriously, just tip of the cap to him. All right, now let's get into some mailback questions. You ready, JP? Let's do it. All right. This one I got especially for you. Thoughts on Gardner <laughs> Minshew as a bridge quarterback, McAdoo coach him in Jacksonville. This assumes the pass trade out of three for a godfather offer and draft a developmental QB. I will start by saying I have, I don't want to say, I, I, I have shell shock a little bit from watching Gardner Minshew in that Germany game. Obviously, it was bad enough watching the Patriots offense, but then you flip it to the other side and I'm just like, dude. This guy is right in front of you. He's wide open. It's third down. I don't know what's going on here. Like, I understand he does a lot of great stuff. Pro Bowl alternate, you know, that's fantastic. But he gives me the yips. So, please, if you think that this is a possibility that could actually turn out remotely well, talk me into it. So, if you plan on running an offense that is entirely RPOs and never actually any real drop back passing or anything that asks the quarterback to do any semblance of true quarterback play, sure. Gardner Minshew's your guy. If you tell him to point and shoot, 
He will point and shoot. That's the exact guy that you want as a bridge quarterback. Outside of that, I don't think I want any part of Gardner Minshew in terms of running an actual like NFL offense because once the RPOs don't work, we have seen what happens with Gardner Minshew. I think we kind of have taken like the vibe of Gardner Minshew and turned it into what we think of him as a player. Yes. When they're the vibe and the player are completely different. We think of like this reckless, like gunsling quarterback. No, that's not Gardner Minshew. He is a get to that check down every single time. He plays football like, like they are six downs instead of four. <laughs> he's going to throw that check down. I, do, I don't see it. I think Jacoby Brissett would be a better option if you're looking for a develop or like a bridge quarterback. I think Jacoby Brissett would be a great option there. Honestly, if they want to go to Rod Taylor, I think that'd be really fun just in terms of what Terod brings to an offense, to a QB room. I just think there's so many better options than Gardner Minshew and the RPO gimmick offense. It's true. It's just tough because so many of the options, you're actually like, oh, I'd entertain this. They're older guys who so don't even know if they're going to finish the season. Like Joe Flacco is another guy in that category where he's an actual gunslinger where he'll make some crazy throws. We were like, no, nah, he's not just being crazy. This dude is throwing with anticipation. Like, I know he threw like a, a deep post to Amari Cooper or something, where I'm like, you have not played with this man very long, and you're throwing before he even starts to get down into his break, where, you know, there's guys like that who kind of excite you, but it's like, all right, is this a bridge where we're expecting this rookie to play after the bye? Is this kind of bridge where we're like, all right, no, for the season we need you. Then you got to look at like a Drew Lock or a Gardner Minshew. So when it comes to guys who, even if they're not great, can it play for a season? I just don't know if they're on the market, and that is kind of a scary place to be in. Honestly, I think if they do go the godfather offer spot and try and draft a developmental quarterback later in the draft, it might be in the best interest of the Patriots just to let that guy play right away. You know, let it, let him take the lumps immediately instead of, you know, I guess the entire thing is, oh, you want to sit and let a quarterback develop and sit and wait, you know, but sometimes you just, you, you have to eventually play the game. You know, you can only, you can only practice against the other team in the same helmets as you so many times and learn, you know? So eventually you're going to have to play against teams that wear different helmets and want to hurt you. So I think for the Patriots, it might be in their best interest just to let the rookie quarterback play right away. Let him learn as the game goes along. I don't disagree. It depends on who it is. Like Drake May is the kind of guy where I'm like, I don't want him starting right away. Like get him into a system. So here's my thing. With him, it's like all the footwork, right? It's his footwork is off, and that's what leads to the throws where you're just like, what in the world is going on? Now, he's not like a Caleb Williams where there are several throws, sometimes in the same game, where you're just like, the decision doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you completely miss a defender. You don't get a lot of that with Drake May. He doesn't really put the ball in dangerous situations that often, but I think it's more mechanical thing where you don't want him having to go behind maybe a shaky offensive line where he starts like Mac Jones. Maybe it's my Mac Jones-itis where he starts getting into his head, the mechanics break down and it's like, yeah, you got talent, but you're so kind of broken or you just have so many ingrained bad habits that it's like, well, I don't know how much playing even helps because yeah, it helps to really get a feel and you get the speed. But if you don't have that baseline where your feet are good and you can consistently execute, even just like, you know, on air, much less within the structure of an offense, that's what scares me. But somebody like a Jaden, somebody like a, like a Spencer Rattler even, I think those guys are a little more interesting. And all right, yeah, you plug them in right away. I could kind of see it. But Drake, just because I want to kind of get those fundamentals down pat, 
that's when I think his ceiling is through the roof. Because if his mechanics are on point consistently, whew, I think that's when it's like, oh, where the hell did this guy? Like, we knew he was good, but damn, that was fast. Yeah, I think with Drake May, the biggest thing for me is the process has been great. The results have not. And that's, I think, the biggest thing with Drake May. You can see, like, oh, I understand why you did that. It's kind of – it's the reason why I have him as my QB1 in this draft process so far. It's, I can see why you did this. I can see the process here. I can see, oh, you're getting from one to two to three. Like you said, the footwork and the mechanics can be sometimes a little wonky and a little off. I kind of attribute that to being in a Phil Longo offense followed by a Chip Lindsey offense. Those are not not great things to be involved around in, at North Carolina. <laughs> um, they had to wait for Tez Walker to get eligible for them to get any semblance of a wide receiver. And, and it, even it was really bad. It was really bad. And I think the process is good, but the results really were off this year. So I think I'd be I'd be better with May like going in day one and letting him learn and take those lumps and learning the mechanics and footwork. It's kind of a little similar. I don't think they're similar players stylistically at all, but the approach that the Colts took with Anthony Richardson last year, where you saw like He's good at managing a pocket. He, he can be a good pocket passer. There were just some mechanics and footwork issues. Just let him play. Let him figure it out. We're going we're gonna to walk with him every step of the way, and we're going to continue to add stuff in the playbook as he grows. But you're only going to learn so much playing against the other team. Uh, Jane Daniels, I actually – I'd be a little concerned because my biggest concern for Jane Daniels is every time he gets hit, it is cannon fire. It's he never takes a normal hit. I would be terrified. I think uh, people got a little too out over their skis calling him Lamar Jackson. He is 100% not Lamar Jackson. I think if we're looking for a runner quarterback that can really throw the deep ball a little better, I would probably say he's very RG3 ish in terms of like deep ball and the boom running plays. But again, when he gets hit, it is he never takes a normal hit. I've compared it to like, you know, that meme where the Joker, the dude, the Joker mask is like flying backwards after falling off a skateboard. Like that's that's Jane Daniels every time he gets hit, <laughs> just falling backwards. Like the uh the Mississippi State hit where I think Sean Preston oh just my God. holds him and he's just it I don't know how he does it, but every time it looks like he gets hit with an acne anvil. And that really concerned me. And the thing is, I don't understand how he hasn't gotten hurt yet, which is what gives me pause in the evaluation. Because honestly, it's like, you know, with the NFL, he's going to take more of these hits. Like at some point, it feels like he's going to miss time. And that's why for me, if we talk about like, I feel like we're going to get into this in another question anyway, but you know, we'll just talk about it now. I don't want to pick him at three. I think that is a pick where you can get a lot of supporting help. You can get a future pick. You can get, you know, extra top 100 picks. Like, that's what you need. Drake May, I think, is a kind of talent where he's got the size. He's young. He's super talented. Legitimately could be the kind of guy that, like, kind of rises all ships. I think Jaden can do that. I do not think that he is going to consistently play the entire season. I think he's going to miss time. And for that, I'm saying, no, I want the picks. I want to maybe get to five, maybe like the Chargers really want MHJ. That's like my my headcanon right now. Give the Chargers number five because that's still the kind of range where you could probably still get Jaden before the Giants or somebody else tries to pick him. And then you got your picks and you're like, all right, he kind of came to us a little bit more. I'm happy with that. But with number three, I I love Jaden when he's at his best, but he scares the hell out of me. He He's very boomer bust at points where it's like, oh, he has the best deep ball 
in the class. Like he can throw the hell out of a fade route or that's the slot fades he threw to neighbors and Brian Thomas. Beautiful. And then you have the boom with the legs, of course, 40 yard touchdowns, 50 yard touchdowns. The Florida game was crazy in terms of his creation as a runner, but there's some of that. If it's not the boom, then you're not creating those. You're not efficient. He can be. You've seen him work two backside digs. You've seen him work in the middle of the field. He does that well. But it's the short area game where he really struggles, where he's not creating efficient offense. It's very boom or bust. So I think that's why, like, if we're talking like May, Caleb Williams, I think the gap there is really it's really a 1A, 1B. Pick your flavor. I think you could you could talk me into either one of those guys being QB1. I'm like, all right, cool. That makes sense. But I think there's a gap in between those two guys and then Jane Daniels. And then I think there's a big gap between Jane Daniels and everybody else. So yeah, no, yeah. to see what the Patriots do at three, I think they're going to love Marvin Harrison Jr., which would be everything that the Patriots have been missing since maybe like Randy Moss. Literally since so, Randy Moss. Since Randy like, Moss. Dude, he's not real. Like he's, he's just not of this planet. He's built in a lab to play outside receiver. The body control is a like I don't know what else to say at this point. Like you, you could probably be like, "Oh, he doesn't create a lot after the catch," but when you do what he does on the outside, you don't really have to. Yeah, and I want them to. I just I cannot accept it because they have so many other needs. Like my in my head, it goes: this year you get your tackle, you get your quarterback. Next year, once you set the foundation, that's when you go get first round, get the best receiver you can. I completely understand Marvin Harrison Jr. is a game changer, but offensive tackle and quarterback, those are jobs where you have to be on point literally every single play. Where a tackle is run block and they're pass protecting. An X receiver is basically like, in terms of what you're actually getting an entire game, maybe like 30% of the snaps, are they actually doing something? And that's if they're actually involved in the run game. That's the part that scares me more. Can he be an absolute difference maker? And do wide receivers matter? Yes. There's so many good ones every single year. Like in all these camps we keep hearing, like, yeah, it's every year. We just get like eight receivers where it's like, holy crap, this guy's legit. So I don't know. We've been going through this question for so long. But I I, I just cannot sit with Marvin Harrison Jr. because they have so many needs. If they didn't, That's hell yeah, yeah. No brainer. But it's just they're, they're desperate in a lot of spots right now. Because we took so long, I'm going to throw it to our friends at FanDuel real quick. And then we'll get back to your mailbag questions. Be right back. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call one 800 GAM1234. All right, just because I'm sensitive, I'm addressing this one real quick. Taylor, I'm losing respect for you. If you think trading from three and still getting QB, that's just dumb. Bad teams do that. My point is Drake May is the only other quarterback, obviously, other than Caleb Williams, where I'm like, yes, if he's there, 
get him with Jaden as we addressed because of the frame and the injury risk. That scares me. I'd rather get Joe Alt, quite frankly. If it's at three and you're picking somebody, I'd rather be Joe Alt than Jaden Daniels because I think his ceiling is way higher. But all right, that's just me being sensitive real quick. All right, next question. Uh, is there a chance they trade back to get one of the top two left tackles, then get back in the late first and grab Penix, or will he be gone by then? What do you think? So I think we have also kind of overcorrected ourselves on Michael Penix, who was a fantastic <laughs> guy, fantastic college player. I don't think he's a first round quarterback. And that's just because you combine the injury history with sometimes the accuracy can be a little spotty. And I think that's because of just the weird kind of release. Like it, it just looks so funky, but it works. All funky so, with him. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like when I talked to him, he was like, yeah, I've been doing this my entire life and nobody really could like fix it. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to keep going. Like, oh, like, like word. Like, all right. If it, if it works for you, like go for it, man. I, I think they can trade back to get one of the top two left tackles, but I think you can grab Penix in maybe the second or third round. I think. Especially with that top pick. Yeah. Yeah. You can get a bunch of those guys where you're looking at maybe Penix, you're looking at a Bo Nix, you're looking at maybe Michael Pratt, if that intrigues uh, Patriots a little. Those those are where like the day two guys will start to fall in. I really don't think we're going to get a fifth quarterback that gets drafted in the first round. I think the J.J. McCarthy is probably – I think all four quarterbacks might end up going top ten, which is going to be really funny. Really? Uh, I think the NFL is a lot higher on JJ McCarthy than I or a lot of other people will be. I just, I have a lot of questions and I don't think JJ McCarthy is <laughs> ready right now. You can see like, Hey, it looks good when he's throwing off play action and his feet are set and he knows what he's looking at. But outside of that, like, I don't really know. You know, it's kind of like, it's not similar to the Gardner Minshew conversation where he's only good on RPOs, but, J.J. McCarthy is really good on play action. Outside of that, you don't really know. Also, he's not that good of an athlete. He's good enough. He's a he's a NFL athlete, which is not to say like he's a top top tier NFL athlete, but he is he is he looks like he can play in the NFL. Like that, he looks like he can play. But he's got that white QB athleticism where people see it and they're like, "Ooh, he's and it's like, all right, no, like settle down, settle down. Yeah, like, let's be very honest. Overcorrected a little bit too much where we saw Daniel Jones running for like 40 yards and we're like, oh, maybe these guys are actually athletic. But no, we're, they're just they're good enough. He can pull his own read. But I think he needs a lot. He needs a year to just kind of figure it out and how to play at the NFL level. So I think for the Patriots, I think if they trade back, to take one of the top two left tackles, I think that'd be fine because, like you said, there are a lot of holes everywhere. You need as many picks to just to swing. You need to get you need to go up to bat as many times just to get just to put something in play. Get as many throws at the dartboard as you can. I absolutely agree. And yeah, with Penix, I if you want to trade to like 32, 31, like sure. If you want to get like the fifth year option, things like that, I'll I consider that. But I mean, to be totally honest, I, I wouldn't trade into like the, the, the twenties or anything like that to get Penix. I agree. If you're going to try to get a quarterback, either get the value pick or get one of the developmental guys that don't have those big red flags. Like he does again, it's like the Jaden thing where with health with these quarterbacks, it means a lot. Obviously, backups are very important, and you need a good backup quarterback as well. But when you're missing a guy who you're expecting to be your franchise for some amount of time, that's just a risk I really don't like going into when you're talking about premium picks. 
All right, moving on. I see this in the current state, this team, the Patriots, and they're in state needing three to four year full rebuild. Do you agree? If not, what's a good timeline you think this team is on track for? Now, I said I thought three was actually pretty realistic. I think year one, you get your quarterback and you're saying, all right, like we're kind of trying to figure our stuff out, like get some veteran foundation, get a lot of young players, and then we develop these guys. If the quarterback's ready, awesome. Year two is when I think go as far as your defense and special teams take you year one. Year two, that's where you start to get like, all right, we need to make a serious push for the playoffs. Like, even if you don't make it, as long as it's like you don't know until the second last game of the season, last game of the season, where, you know, the whole weird playoff scenario works out. And you're like, damn, we missed it, but we were that close. Year three is where it's like, all right, no, we need to like, if we're in the wild card, we should win. Or at least like if we lose, it's on some crazy like BS where we'll be back there next year. That's my personal opinion. What do you think? So I think that's a good timeline for this team, especially when you consider what they're looking at in terms of cap space. I think uh, per over the cap, if you're looking through 2026, the Patriots are no lower than, than third in overall cap space amongst all NFL teams. You have a lot of room to make this into what Gerard Mayo wants this team to look like, a team built in his image. So you take this year one, you draft the guy at three. If it's a quarterback, you let you let him develop. You let this is a this is a trial year. We're gonna we're gonna do the test run. We're gonna see what it looks like, what what we think about it. We're gonna get get some development from the younger guys. We're gonna hope that the defense sticks around and it still has those young developing players like like guys like Keon White, who was good. He was really good. You get those development out of that first year. And then maybe you think year two, year two in, I believe that'll be 2025, the 2025 offseason, the Patriots will have the most cap space in the NFL. You're going to have potentially the quarterback. Now you can really start to add a little more. You can start to add some players. You can start to add, you can go into free agency and be like, hey, we got a, we got a guy who we think is going to be good. We think this is going to be another one of those guys. Come and play with us. We're going to try and win a ring. We're going all in. You can speed that, that up by a year because of how much leeway you get with the cap space and having that rookie quarterback. But like you said, I think year three, 2026, that 2026 offseason, it's like, okay, this is the playoff run. We have, we got to go do it. We got to do it now, but they have a lot of, they have a lot of leeway because you're going to get the quarterback on the rookie contract and you're going to have a lot of cap space. And fifth year option too. That's the big one where you yeah. don't have to like sell out in year three and be like, all right, that deal's almost over. Like we got it. No, you still have year three is where you can make that push. Like I said, maybe you're not in the Super Bowl, but that gives you a very clear picture of where you're at. Then that next offseason, you're like, all right, especially with this Elliott Wolf front office, like this feels like a team that's going to lean heavier into the draft. So you don't have all this money tied up and all these big contracts where like now, if you know, next year they're projected to have most cap space. Well, that could change if they sign like a Justin Matabuike, they extend Christian Barmore because then that affects future years. But if most of your talent is young guys on their first deals, you get Gonzalez, Mapu and Keon White. Like you said, if they actually break out and then their actual contributors, playmakers on defense, you can ride that defense for a while. I think they've got a lot of good foundational pieces where, you know, assuming they retain Barmore, Christian Gonzalez stays healthy, they should be good because they'll have like real dudes at every level of the defense. But yeah, I, I think year three is probably where you really want to start being like in the conversation. And then year four is when shit gets real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We need a good old line or it don't matter who we have at quarterback. What's your dream scenario for the Pats old line? And what's a more realistic expectation for the Pats old line? I could go first for this one. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like one of the only things I do think about. It's this line scarcely. So 
my dream scenario is Trent Brown does come back. And this is assuming that in the building, he hasn't burned those bridges and people are like, hey, you know, we know who Trent is. We're going to treat him, you know, more respectfully or the way that he wants to be treated. We're going to have to sit down and get on the same page because you got to get him motivated. And if we're being very honest, the only time we really saw him not motivated was last season. I know there's a lot of revisionist history and it's like, oh, he takes plays off. I really don't think anybody was complaining about how good Trent Brown was until you start things started to get ugly. So Trent Brown, left guard, Cole Strange, ideally a veteran pickup who can bring some stability because I don't think that Cole Strange is going to be ready to start the season. Just two knee injuries in one season. I feel like it's asking a lot for him to even be ready by training camp. Center, David Andrews. Jake Andrews developing behind him. Right guard, City So. Right tackle, Mike Nwenu. And then you also have a tackle who can swing who you expect to be a starter for you sometime down the road. That's my dream scenario. Most realistic, I feel like it's going to be left tackle Jonah Williams, left guard Cole Strange. Again, I think they will get a backup because this is a good interior offensive line class. David Andrews, City So. I hope Mike Nguyenu comes back. If he doesn't, I'm just going to, you know, most realistic, I think it's realistic for Unwinning to come back, but just devil's advocate, say someone like James Illuminor, where he's not going to be super expensive. He's a solid player for you, especially at that right tackle spot. And then you double dip in the draft and get a couple developmental guys. So I really think Jonah Williams is going to be a good option, like for the Patriots in terms of if Trent Brown leaves. Of course, the dream scenario is Trent Brown stays. Trent Brown is really, really good. You want to keep really, really good guys around your He's cheap. Yeah, he's, he'll be cheap. And you're going to have a rookie quarterback. You might want to surround him with a good left tackle. That seems like a smart thing. But I think Jonah Williams would be an interesting option at left tackle because it was very clear he did not want to play right tackle. He was so <laughs> good at right tackle. He was like, uh-uh, this is not happening. But I think it'll be interesting how they build out the offensive line because I think the scheme is going to be a little different from what the Patriots have normally been used to running in terms of a lot of gap, a lot of downhill runs. And now you bring in Alex Van Pelt from Cleveland, a lot of outside zone. There's a lot more movement involved. I think you can – Look at guys like Kieran Abinajay from uh, from Yale, who uh, Dane Brugler just wrote a great feature about him in The Athletic. A really, really he's good. He's, he came from Yale, of course, but the dude has really good movement skills at tackle. That can be a guy where you sit and develop, maybe. Uh, Christian Haynes with that senior bowl in Mobile looked great at tackle and guard. You can play him there. But you're looking at this tackle and guard class, specifically – for guard is going to be really fun because there's a lot of guys who played tackle in college that are probably going to move inside the guard. We can be like, oh, these guys have the movement skills that you can look for in terms of like an outside zone heavy scheme. And you're like, okay, we can draft one of these guys and say if Unwainu walks, you, you're like, okay, maybe we can draft them and let the young guys grow with our quarterback. You know, you want to have everything in sync where you're constantly rising to that third that point in that third year. We're like, okay. Now they're all good. And it's like, okay, we can really make that run. But I think the dream scenario is they keep Trent Brown around, of course, but Jonah Williams would be a good option if Trent Brown does walk. Man, I know Troy Fautanu. I feel like you've been on the boat of like he is a tackle. It would be so cool if they got a true left tackle and then Troy. And we're like, well, we don't need to play him a tackle. So we're going to play him a guard because we have the option. Like I've been doing that in some mock drafts. It's usually completely unrealistic unless they really are just like, we're going to wait on a quarterback. But damn, man, that would be so cool. All right. That's one of my other dream scenario picks. All right. It's exciting to look at wide receivers in the draft and free agency, but how many wide receivers can we realistically add? Both Juju and Parker have significant dead money if they get cut. I actually looked this up this morning. 
Parker's deal isn't that bad. It's like, I think like 5 million or something dead cap space. If you just cut him out, right. Which is like not great, obviously, but they already just made like $5 million by cutting uh, Lawrence guy and Adrian Phillips. They can create like 14 million more just by getting rid of JC Jackson. Cause he's due a ton of money because of that stupid chargers deal. So for Parker, it's not the worst thing in the world. Juju is a problem. If you cut Juju, I think it's like $12 million in dead money. Like what, what were they thinking last year? I can't imagine – that had to have been a Belichick decision because I can't imagine anybody who was like, yeah, that makes sense, would still be in the building. That's fucking crazy. If you trade him, I think it's like $5 million in dead cap space this year. Just like not good situations. Parker, it's like, all right, if you really just do not think he's part of your plans, you can. Juju, you might have to eat it if you can't find a trade partner. Even if you do, you probably still have to pay for him. But uh, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. So with that in mind, what uh, would your thoughts be? So I think the Patriots receiver wise, they need an outside receiver specifically. Yes. They need someone who is of a different body type than Pop Douglas, who is fun, but he is a slot only. Juju Smith-Schuster isn't an outside receiver at this point. He's more of a power slot where you have him like digging out safeties on duo runs or being that guy over the middle who can make those tough catches. You need the above the rim outside receiver. Luckily, there's a lot of that in this year's draft class. I mean, even outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., Roma Dunze is fantastic as an outside receiver. The ball tracking, the grace, the body control, it rivals Marvin Harrison Jr. in terms of, yes, it's, so I had a story come out today where I'm comparing players to something that has nothing to do with football. I compared, I love Roma, those. Dunze to, <laughs> I Roma Dunze to Kaka, the, uh, the midfielder who used to play for AC Milan and Real Madrid. Just because of the grace and the footwork, but the the speed, you know, he was really fast. I think Roman Dunze doesn't get talked about how fast he is because he's always able to make the above the rim catches. He's probably going to run four fours. Like he he is a track champion. Like he he did that in high school. But even if you go to like day two, you got guys like Xavier Leggett who can be an outside receiver, big like big dude. Like maybe like I think he measured at Senior Bowl like six one two twenty. Like he, he's a big dude in the same. Runs like, like Isaiah Pacheco too. <laughs> yeah, he, he runs like a running back. Um, I think you look at, I don't know if he'll make it to the day two, but you think of maybe A.B. Mitchell, who smooth, incredibly smooth uh, receiver, smooth runner. Uh, Keon Coleman has been kind of sliding lately. I think Daniel Jeremiah had him falling out of his first round in the mock uh, he just released. I keep seeing I the Keel Harry comparisons. Like, I don't think so. I don't think no, he's the kill I think Harry. that's PTSD talking. <laughs> I think it is like Keon Coleman is also a fantastic return man and like mm -hmm. legitimately great after the catch, as well as being like the above the rim player. Like if you're looking for a receiver who's gonna go up and get the ball and be kind of the screw it, X receiver is down there somewhere. <laughs> that's Keon Coleman. Like you see the basketball skills. I think stylistically, again, I'm not saying the comparison is for how their player like career trajectory is. It's more of like physically and play style. It's very similar to Demarius Thomas to me, where they don't have a lot of nuance in the route running. Like they only run like three routes, but all three of those routes, absolutely. <laughs> Keon Coleman runs screens, slants, and fades, and all of them hit. Like that is, that's exactly what you want from an outside receiver, especially with Pop Douglas being sort of the, the shifty, the the easy, the easy money receiver. Yeah. Keon Coleman can be the outside guy that you can use on 
uh, curls or fades. He can you can give him the three by ones and like give him like I think uh, JT O'Sullivan called it the f off route where he's just running the fade route. <laughs> on the side. And if you like it, just throw it. So yep. he will be really fun. But even when you get into day two of the draft, there's some really interesting like receiving prospects. Like even a guy like Javon Baker from UCF. Mm-hmm. Again, smaller side, but goes up and gets the ball. There are a lot of interesting options that you can add on the outside receiver. And then, of course, with where the college game is going, you're going to have a lot of guys who can win in space. You're going to have a lot of fast guys who can win in space in the slot. So yeah, I know the Juju and Parker contracts have a lot of dead money, but you can realistically add a bunch of receivers if you want in this draft. Mm-hmm. And one of them has got to work out. Like It's just like one of those where, like again, throwing darts at the dartboard. Something's got to hit. If you fit, if you fish for long enough, you're gonna catch a fish. The Keon Coleman thing reminds me of the DK Metcalf discussion. Where it's like, oh, yeah. oh and he runs through routes. And it's like, who's beating him though? Like he's <laughs> gonna win. Do you really care what route the guy ran if he's gonna win every single time? And he's like one of the biggest people and best athletes on the field. And then another guy who I really like for the X, Brendan Rice. I feel like the Shrine Bowl, like some of the stuff I was hearing in terms of like people who were watching and saying like, oh man, he's not getting a lot of separation. It's like they're holding on for dear life. Like this man is a very difficult cover and he's still fighting through contact. Like I love seeing that even when guys were clearly committing penalties, he's like, nah, I'm still going to win the rep. Like that kind of toughness, like when Daniel Jeremiah was mentioning how all the young receivers, what do they have in common when they succeed? They're tough. I think Brendan Rice has that, obviously the pedigree. Like, I understand, you know, Nepo baby conversation, whatever, but it's different with players a lot of the times. If you got the physical skills, your dad was the best to ever do it. Like, who else do you want to be getting tips from? But it's like, oh, I'm having trouble with this. Like, I just think that part of it's really cool. But I really do like his game. I like his toughness. I think if you're talking about, like, really good value with someone who could contribute in a few different ways, may not be, like, the guy, but somebody who's a very good number two. Brandon Rice is one of those guys for me, but I love all the guys that you mentioned. All right, I won't do another Jaden Daniels uh, uh, question because we had enough of those. <laughs> Let's see. Um, how do we feel as Patriots fans about Mayo having a larger staff compared to B- Bill's normal staff? My opinion, more eyes on players in free agency and drafts could end up working out better. I really like the bigger staff. I feels like all the guys who don't have a ton of experience have a lot of help around them. And then the other guys who just are kind of in their, not silos, that's exactly what Mayo doesn't want to build. But the guys who are more to themselves are really experienced and they've been in the NFL around football for a really long time. So personally, especially when the whole staff was announced, there are definitely some ones where I could see people being like, what the hell? Like Tyler Hughes, where he was um, an assistant coach for a while, left and then was an offensive quality control coach for Washington, then comes back. And it's like, why is he a wide receivers coach? But I think if you also dig in enough, you can see, oh, I understand. Because like he won the coach of the year. And at Snow College or something like that. And like he's been a head coach at several spots, which you don't usually see position coaches who have at any level like significant experience actually leading a team. So I I really am excited about this coach. Now, in terms of free agency in the draft, I think they're going to be calculated with the draft. Like I think one piece that we don't talk about a lot with like, oh, they're going to bring all these people are going to burn cash. The reason they have so much cap space is they don't have a lot of players under contract. So they got a lot of people they actually need to bring back. So once you talk about that, we're talking like, and then you got to save money for draft picks and then for the season. So how much do they have? Probably like optimistically like $25, $30 million. So that's when you're like, all right, do we want to divvy this up and fill out the middle tier of our roster and then kind of shoot in the draft? Or do we want to bring in a couple big name guys and then 
fill out the roster through the draft and kind of those more mid-tier guys, undrafted free agents, kind of like what we saw with the Packers. Like the Packers always have like a 15-person undrafted free agent class or like the Rams who had to do it out of desperation. So I like the big staff. I think it means there's just going to be more help around, especially for a young coach like Gerard. Um, and then when it comes to how they attack this offseason, I think they're, again, I think it's going to be draft heavy and then calculated moves in free agency that may not wow people necessarily, but you look back on it and you're like, Okay, no, they created their foundation and then, you know, maybe a splash signing or two. Yeah, so I think the big staff works because you're getting different perspectives. I think that was the <laughs> one thing that was missing from Bill's, the end of Bill's tenure in New England was the lack of different perspectives from outside of the Patriots' nucleus. And if you look at where Gerard Mayo got a lot of his staff, it's from everywhere. He's pulling names from every single level of football. And while you can kind of be like, oh, too many cooks, which is a valid thing, but you think about how many perspectives, how many different eyes have seen the things they've seen in football and how many different views they can bring to how to build a team and how to coach a team, especially a young team where you're like, maybe, maybe it doesn't work, but it's okay that didn't work the first time. You just, you have so many different ways of, so many different perspectives of bringing these guys around and helping to develop players. So I think it's a, Big staff works. I think it's good for a first-year coach because you want to have as many different viewpoints as possible. You never want to surround yourself with an echo chamber full of guys who are only around you, who know who know you. Of course, you want people to like know you, but you want to have people who are not afraid to be like, hey, this isn't a good idea, or hey, I was over here, and this is how they did it. So bringing in those different perspectives is really good. I think draft and free agency-wise, like you said, this feels more like a team that'll – fill out like the free agency money with small signings that are like in the middle tier that'll help build the depth of this roster and then just swing in the draft. Like you said, with a quarterback, you want to get as many throws at the dartboard surrounding talent. I think uh, Jordan Reed says you want to have play calling, playmakers, and protection. You want to get all that around a young quarterback because you don't want to end up in a position where with Mac Jones where none of that stuff was around and then his worst, his worst aspects of play, instead of becoming weaknesses, they became glaring issues that could not be fixed. You don't want that to happen with a rookie quarterback. So just swing, throw, throw darts at the dartboard. Go, go draft as many receivers as possible. Go find some linemen. Sign a big undrafted free agent class. One of them has got to stick around. Like one, one of them is going to end up being on the roster playing significant time. I mean, Demario Douglas was a day three guy like it it happens like these are the type of things where the draft like it's a very like cliche the draft is one on day three but the depth of the draft like the depth of teams is built on those day three day two picks and then like I feel like the easiest team to compare this versus the Pats to is kind of like all right you look at the Texan strategy and what they did the two best receivers the third round picks Tankdale Nico Collins, both third round guys. So you kind of look at that mold and it's like, all right, we can kind of wait on receivers, but you can still get some really potent guys. And a lot of what you were saying about the staff, like you literally sound like Gerard Mayo, because that's what he's been saying this whole time is he wants different perspectives. He wants to learn. He, you know, he's got the business background. So he keeps saying like, I want everyone like old, white, black, yellow, purple, whatever. Like I want everybody to come in and then we are a unit and I want to be able to incorporate those different ideas. And I think that's a huge part of it is, 
when you have, again, especially for a young coach where you don't know what you don't know. So with all the, you know, at first it was really young on the staff. And we're like, all right, this could be a little risky. And then you get Alex Van Pellet, you get uh, Bob Bicknell, like guys who've seen a lot of this stuff and guys who've been in leadership positions. And then you can say, all right, at least you, he's got some fallbacks to where, like you said, not an echo chamber. He's hearing all these different viewpoints. I love that. All right, we'll get a couple more here. Let's see. What's your gut telling you right now about the Patriots organization post-Belichick? Or if you prefer to reserve judgment for now, that's okay, too. I just loved how civil this question was. I very rarely get, oh, if you don't want to, it's fine to shoot my <laughs> shot here. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I'm curious what you think. You know, we went over how Mayo's building his staff and everything. But in terms of overall picture, it's still very early. But how do you feel about the post-Belichick era from what we've seen? I think, uh, first of all, shout out to at Mr. Red 315. Wonderful question. Love the kindness. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, kindness. Of course. I think my thoughts on the Mayo era of the, of the Patriots is got to give it time. I think there is, we have become so accustomed to the one-year turnaround or the two-year turnaround that we forget, like, this is a really long-term build, especially from where the Patriots were, where, like you said, they don't have a lot of guys signed, you know. They gotta have. They have a lot of holes everywhere, so you have a lot of a lot of things need to be addressed. And with that, I think there needs to be some patience and some time. Like we said, this is probably we're probably looking at a three-year rebuild. Where first year, all you have to see is the bones, see the proof of concept, not the proof of concept, but see the concept, see the vision. People say it all the time, like I see the vision. Like yeah, you just need to see the concept, the idea, the foundation. I think the comparison here is Dan Campbell with the Lions. The first year, it wasn't that good. They weren't that good, but you could see what he wanted to build, what the, the bones were there, and you just keep stacking, keep adding in the draft and free agency. That's where the Patriots are right now. You want to build through the draft. It feels like they should build through the draft because you're going to have the quarterback that's coming in. You want to develop him with the other younger guys. And then you add kind of the middle tier of, of like maybe a vet receiver or maybe an older defender who can kind of bring some more experience to more younger guys. That's where you want to be by the time you get to year two, year three. So really, it's just it's patience. I'm optimistic, of course, but I think we're going to we're going to need time here. Mm. And I, I completely agree. I think cautiously optimistic is probably the best way to put it because yeah. they haven't been making moves where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like they're not hiring Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator. I know people <laughs> love Cliff Kingsbury, but like I just personally, I just don't totally get the appeal. Uh, but like, you know, Bo Hardegree isn't the quarterback's coach. You know, there were some moves where if they made them, I would have been like, eh, I don't love that. Even the ones where you could definitely look and be like, this guy's had a lot of success, like a Ben McAdoo. There's still enough there where you're like, well, Tom Coughlin made him the Giants head coach after him. So it's not like, you know, the dude was a total bust. He probably just wasn't put in positions where he thrived. So there's things about each of these moves I like, although there's also that part of me that's like, you got to wait and see how they actually gel. Because a bunch of pieces that look nice by themselves are great, but we have no idea how they're actually going to work together. And then when you mentioned also like adding the players and everything like that, this is a team where what you're hoping for is hope. Just hope. Like, yeah. this is not – like, he got that in 2021. And even then, at the end of the season, you started being like, 
like, what's going on here, friend? <laughs> like, you're, you're, you had that hot streak, and now you're kind of falling off a cliff here. Like, you know, there hasn't been a lot to be excited about. Even if you want to be honest, going back to 2019, that was not a fun season. I distinctly <laughs> remember a lot of those games just being like this, because you're coming off a Super Bowl, and it's one of the worst seasons the Patriots had had, kind of excluding the ones where they were just completely hammered by injuries in a really long time. So I think year one, we kind of went over like all the steps, but really you want this team to inspire confidence like a Dan Campbell team where like the lions were whatever for so long. And he comes in and it's like, this is a team that you respect at least like, no, you're not coming in being, I'm scared of the lions, but you also know that they're not going to be an easy team to roll over against you. The Patriots even were that last year as bad as they were. The defense was still to the point where I'm like, I can't even predict that they're going to lose outright because they're in it until the fourth quarter. You have no idea. It's just about kind of who has possession last and what the scoreboard looks like. So I agree. Cautiously optimistic. But right now, it's not going to be Super Bowls. You know, that era is long gone where you just expect them to be contenders in that regard every year. But I think right now you're hoping, all right, let's see. This is a team where I'm having fun watching. I'm not just, you know rolling my eyes because they can't get the midfield or they can't even get into the red zone. Like you want this team to give you some modicum of hope. And then you start building on that as the seasons progress, because hopefully they're building things the right way. All right. Last one, JP, before I get you out of here, you've been very generous with your time. What are your top underrated free agents you would like to see the Patriots sign? You got one or a couple? Ooh, or this is really, this is a really interesting. And I think I'm going to go to receiver again. I think I'm going to go receiver and I'm going to say DJ Chark. I think DJ Chark will provide a lot of speed on the outside. I don't think DJ Chark is a number one receiver. I don't, I think he's a super specialist, but when you think about what the Patriots have been missing is that downfield element of the offense, you know, where, Hey, maybe Devonte Parker is cool sometimes, but he's not really that separator downfield. DJ Chark can get, downfield in a hurry he gets downfield in the instant i think you can get him as a value signing and you can be like oh that makes sense like yeah i could i could definitely see this working out i could see this being a super specialist type of player you know you you get this guy in here and you get a young quarterback and you're like hey if we're if we're going for it if we're going deep let's go do this let's let's go throw it to uh let's go throw it to dj chart downfield I think another one that I've kind of in my head have assumed that he's kind of a Patriot style of player, and I just want to see it because it'd be fun, is Danico Autry. I think Danico Autry is such a Patriots player, especially for what they look for up front. Danico Autry kicks so much ass. He is one of my <laughs> favorite like non-star players in the NFL because he just causes problems, whether it be lining up a deep to tackle, being a base end, you can put him in so many different spots where like the Titans had him like lining up out on the edge on early downs then kicked him inside on passing downs. They had him playing inside some. You can be versatile along the front. So now you have Keon White. You have Autry. Judon will be coming back. I think whatever happens at edge will be interesting. But you think about those three guys, you can be real creative. You can get re you can get real fun with those guys, and then you add in more versatile pieces like hopefully like hopefully Kyle Duggar and Marte Mapu on the back end. Where you're like, oh, now we got a lot of guys who can be who can be running around, and like I think where the NFL is going schematically defensively is the ability to create pressure without always having to like it's the simulated pressures, it's the creepers. Yep. What do you think Kyle Duggar and Marte Mapu are gonna have? like that? That'd be really fun. We're like, oh. 
we'll just drop one of these guys. We'll add in on a simulated pressure. I can see it. Like, that, that sounds really fun. A trio of Autry, Christian Barmore, Keon White, Matt Judon. That that four, like, that, sign me up for that. I knew you were going to kill this question. I was so excited to see what you were <laughs> going to say. All right. For mine, I would go Zach Moss is one for sure. I remember watching his tape, like, when they were getting ready for the Germany game. I'm like, where the hell did Zach Moss come from? I do not remember him doing any of this news on the Bills. It really felt like he started to hit his stride, was executing a bunch of different schemes, looked explosive. Like, he was one of the best running backs in the NFL before Jonathan Taylor came back. Like, statistically, dude was absolutely killing it. Obviously, the Colts offensive line had a lot to do with that. But he's someone I really like to see them, especially as a replacement for Zeke. Like Zeke was amazing in the locker room. He gelled so well with the culture. Like I had a, it was a pleasure really covering Zeke, but I mean, he was okay. If we're being totally honest, like he was solid more than what we expected, but he was still like, all right, yeah, you, you could do better. Like he's not explosive by any stretch of the imagination as a receiver. Oh, yeah. like, he, he runs like he's wearing bootcut jeans, but exactly. So like, you know, I would like Zach Moss where you get more of that explosiveness, but you also get the toughness, the physicality, the vision, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then tight end. I really like Harrison Bryant. I think he could yeah. be a breakout kind of guy because we talk about tight ends. Very few tight ends are really good in their first contract. Like, oh, I don't know, his teammate, David Njoku. David Njoku got so much crap because he was drafted to be the guy early on. Took him a while, and he finally got there. Now, I don't think Bryant's the same guy necessarily, but I was getting compared to George Kittle coming out of college. I don't think that was a fair comparison. But you talk about the skill set, it's there. And he can be that kind of chess piece where – which you kind of wanted a Mike Kosicki type to be where you can line him up a little bit everywhere and do different things. But Harrison Bryant's really good as a blocker as well. And I think he's also got really good hands. Like he didn't get thrown to a lot because in that offense, he got Najoku and Amari Cooper. It's kind of hard for anybody else to establish themselves. But I think Bryant in this kind of offense where he would probably be higher in the pecking order with the potential to be the guy would be a really fun add. And then one more I'll throw out there, Andrew Van Ginkle. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, he bothers the he bothered the hell out of me for years, <laughs> and whenever he played the Patriots, and I'm like, whenever he's a free agent, they gotta get him. He just he's so annoying, and he's like, as a pass rusher, I feel like he doesn't really get a lot of credit because you know he's not one of the better guys in the league. But considering what kind of contract he's probably gonna get, I feel like he could be a very good role player for you. He's got versatility on and off the ball. You know, he's got his strengths and weaknesses. I'm not saying he's the kind of guy we can just put anywhere and he's at least gonna be solid. I think you got to protect him to a degree. But again, he's gonna come cheap. He's gonna be cheaper than Josh Uche. And if you're talking about a situational pass rusher, draft a guy who can develop if he's maybe not ready to start early on and get. Van Ginkle is a guy who can play on every down and kind of move around as one of those fun little chess piece options. Oh, yeah. Van Ginkle's a great shout. I think they started him off as an outside, like an off-ball linebacker, but then because of all the injuries, he had to move down the edge and was really good there, too. Yep. But you could also see the Dolphins like, oh, our, our off-ball linebackers aren't that great now because Van Ginkle had to be moved to edge. So he just seems like a Patriot type of player and the versatility they want up front. I think guys like Jadavian Clowney would also be really fun. Mm. It's like, I mean, he was signed in like August and then like had like double digit sacks. So I just think with the versatility that he brings and the general angriness he plays the run with, like that's going to be huge, especially when you're in a division with Miami, who very clearly wants to run the ball. Um, you're in a division with Buffalo who has a cyborg ostrich quarterback who can run it and <laughs> found the ability to run the ball. And then the Jets have Bruce Hall and want to get into that, into that run game. 
you need guys who can kind of kick ass against the run. Jadavian Clowney is going to do that. Like he is a, he's been a really good run defender for his entire career. And then you get him into those spots where he can be a pocket like denter. He's so good on loops and stunts where he's either destroying a guard or he's looping around free. So you think about all those games that you can run up front with that defensive line, sign me up for that. I think of Jadavian Clowney after the context of last season is like Anthony Jennings plus where he is going to kick ass against the run. You're not going to his side and Jennings like he's better when he slants inside and online games and stuff like that. He's not the most fluid guy. And that was the whole thing with Jadavian Clowney where he got drafted and people acted like he was this crazy good pass rusher. It's like, no, he's an elite run defender who can give you something as a pass rusher, you know, especially with all those line games and stuff like that. So I like him as well. I just wonder how much he's going to cost because I feel like yeah. at this point in the year, he's I don't know if he necessarily wants to go to a contender I feel like he's gonna be like no I'll be a mercenary whatever you want to pay me if it's 10 million or higher that's rock baby and I don't know what the Pats right now would commit to that but in terms of fit I think he's fantastic all right JP thank you so much buddy it's been a blast I've smiled so much I needed this today with Matthew Slater's retirement I really needed this pick me up thank you so much for stopping by buddy please let the people know where they can find you and what great work you got coming out I know Mark put some stuff that you got coming out this week so just let the people know if they didn't see that show of course so you can find me on Twitter at Acosta32 underscore JP at JP Acosta32 on threads I write about the NFL college football anywhere where there's football being played for SB Nation. I have a lot of NFL draft stuff coming out. So, of course, today was the first iteration of players being compared to things that have nothing to do with football. I compared Devondre Sweat to Thwomp, if that interests anybody. Oh, um, God. That's a cut. Then, <laughs> then, of course, we're going to be getting into NFL draft stuff. Going to have a big board possibly coming out this weekend. And just watching some clips on Twitter. We got some really cool thoughts coming out on where the NFL is going schematically and how that affects the NFL draft. And, of course, just follow what I'm doing. You're so smart. I, I'm very jealous. No one sees – I swear, no one sees things like you do. Like, all those <laughs> stories that you have with the comparisons, I'm like, how the hell is he doing this? And we're going to make sure to put that to the test at some point this offseason. We're going to have some fun. But oh, we already had a great time here. Thank you so much once again, buddy. Thank you all for watching. As always, take care of yourselves. 